you have your Bibles, turn to Micah chapter 7. We're ending this uh, examination of Micah's sermons and uh, answering the question, what does God want? Now, what we've done is we've tried to evaluate uh, from Micah's sermons uh, what it is that God wants of his people. What does God want from us? And we began in chapter 1 and 2, and we saw that God wants us to trust him above all else. We then saw in Micah 3 and 4 that God wants us to represent him well every single day. And then we looked in Micah chapter 5, uh, how that God wants us uh, to uh, be saturated by the fullness of life that is found in fellowship with him, to live in peace. Uh, and then finally, we saw last week how that God wants us uh, to experience his love and share his love, and that's in Micah chapter 6 and 7, um, uh, to live a life of of, of full throttle for him. Now, today, as we end this, uh, this examination, Micah isn't preaching anymore. Um, in fact, his last words uh, in the book of Micah, his last words of his sermon are in Micah chapter 7, verse 7. Look at those words with me. Micah chapter 7, verse 7, Micah says, But as for me, I will look to the Lord I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. And remember, the children of Israel, the people of God, were in a, in, in a bad mess. They were in a bad way. The northern kingdom had already been destroyed in 722 B.C. And now Micah's preaching to a group of people who are under the threat of severe danger. Uh, Judah has been trampled. Jerusalem is threatened uh, by a foreign power. And the truth is, they got themselves in this mess. Can I just say, the biggest messes we get in are messes of our own making. Israel had gotten themselves in this mess through their rebellion and disobedience to God. And yet, Micah, even in the face of such distress, he said, as for me, I will wait for my God. I will look or wait, watch for the God of my salvation, and he will hear me. Micah had great confidence in who God is and what God would do. Micah had a vision for victory. And that's really what we're going to see today is that God desires for us to live in victory every day. What does God want? He wants us to live in victory. He wants us to live in victory, but in order to live in victory, we have to understand what it is that's creating our defeat. And like most everything else, the reason we don't walk in victory, the greatest enemy to victory in my life every day is me. The greatest enemy for me living in victory every day is me. I am my own worst enemy. I, I, I like to think of it like this. If, I'm, if I have a sledgehammer and I'm slinging a sledgehammer and then I break my leg with the sledgehammer that I'm slinging, it's not the sledgehammer's fault. Now, I can yell at that sledgehammer and I can scream at that sledgehammer but it's not the sledgehammer's fault that my leg is broken. I broke my own leg with the sledgehammer I was slinging. In our lives, 
Every time we pick up sin, we're picking up a sledgehammer that will destroy our life. As followers of Jesus Christ, people who have been rescued by God's grace, forgiven forever by uh, the sacrifice of Jesus on a cross for us, as followers of Jesus Christ, we wreck our lives by our sin. The greatest enemy to victory in my life is me. And really, the Bible's real simple. It, it, it is simple. And I know we like to muddy it up with a lot of our thoughts and ideas and that kind of thing. But the message of the Bible is pretty simple. If you obey God, you will be blessed. If you disobey God, you will enter into a dungeon of defeat and distress. It's just that simple. As followers of Christ, please hear this simple truth. As a follower of Jesus, if you obey God, you will be blessed. If you disobey God, you have built a dungeon of darkness by your own disobedience. And so when we're looking at what Micah has declared, he has declared that the children of Israel are in distress. They are defeated because of their disobedience. They are dwelling in a dungeon of their own making. But Micah says, but there is hope for victory because God is still the God of rescue. You can live in victory. And friends, most of us here today, even though we may be feel like we're swallowed up by the dismal despair of our own defeatism. We are on the verge of victory here and now. You are. I am. We are. But that victory can only be had when we repent. Repent. There it is. In fact, if I were to stop the message after this point, I feel like I have done my job. Because when it all comes down to it, the key to victory in everyday life is repenting our sin. Excuse me. <coughs> Thank you. The key to victory in everyday life is repenting our sin. There is no sin so small that we must not repent it. The problem for us is that we don't repent our sin. I want you to hear what the children of Israel, how they responded to all of Micah's preaching. Beginning in verse 8, verses 8 and 9. Here's what they said. They're speaking to their enemies. They say, Rejoice not over me, O enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord. That term indignation in the Hebrew is fury, wrath, judgment. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light and I shall look upon his vindication. All right, so what's, what are the people of Israel saying? What are the people of God saying? Well, the people of God have gathered together. Instead of being snide and sarcastic with God like they were last week, you remember uh, uh, Micah chapter 6, beginning verse 6 and 7, they, they were very, very sarcastic with God. They're saying to God, well, what do you want from us? We're going through all this 
tough times. We're sitting in the dungeon of darkness. What do you want from us, they said. God, do you want us to, to, to bring more sacrifices? Do you want us to kill more cows? Do you want us to bring you uh, thousands of gallons of oil as sacrifice? Do you, want, do you want us to kill our firstborn son to pay for our sin? Is that what you want, God? They, they were being sarcastic. And you remember how God responded. He said, God has shown you what, what he requires of you, old man to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. Now, in Micah chapter 7, verse 8, there's no more of this sarcasm. The people of God have a different heart about their sin. You can hear it as they speak. They say, don't rejoice over me, O my enemy. Don't gloat. When, when, when I fall, I will rise again. Don't gloat because even though we're sitting under the pain that my sin has caused, the Lord God will lead me into the light. Now here's the good news for us. That if we repent, we will live. And we will live in victory. Uh, we, we can be victorious even when we're sitting in the dank dungeon that our disobedience has built. Even when we're living in the darkness that our sin has created. There is victory for us when we repent our sin. See, the key that unlocks the door of that dungeon is repentance before holy God. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32. Ezekiel's preaching to a, a, the group of people, people of God, and they've, they've been rebellious, and, and the walls around Judah have been torn down, and the city has been abolished. Judah has been overwhelmed by a foreign power. People are in exile. The children of Israel are scattered. They're in a big mess. But in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 32... Here's what God says to his people. Repent and live. That's the message to us today. All right, so here's what it comes down to. You have sin in your life. You've got to repent that sin. Until you repent that sin, you will not have victory every day. And the longer you let that sin go, the more the darkness of your dungeon of disobedience seeps into your soul and devastates your life. You must repent your sin. I'm not talking about just the big sin. See, this is where we get in trouble. We, we sit in here and, and we start saying, well, I don't have sin. If you say you have no sin, the Bible calls you a, a liar. What we really mean is I don't have really big sins that should be causing great problems in my life. There is no sin so small that it will not infect your soul and create uh, the dungeon of darkness and defeat in your everyday life. And we must repent. As the people of God assembled, having heard the preaching of Micah, then they had a chance to respond. And they said, hey, here's what we're going to do. We're going to re repent. We're going to acknowledge that we have sinned against God. And we're going to turn from our sin. And the good news for us today is that 
as the followers of Christ in the room gathered, each one of us have an opportunity to repent our sin. What, what is the sin in your life? Let, let, let's get beyond playing the game that we don't have any. Let's just come on and, and right now before holy God, let's just, let's just identify our sin. Let, let the Spirit of God just run through your mind and your thoughts and your attitudes and your affections, the, the habits of your life, the, the, the words that you say, the relationships that you have. Let God, uh, by His Spirit, run through every aspect of your life. What is your sin? To have victory today, you must repent that sin. To have victory every day, you need to wake up every morning repentant of your sin. There is no sin so small that it must not be repented. The good news is that God delights in forgiving your sin. God delights in passing over your sin, in pardoning your sin, in covering your sin. God delights in taking your sin and trampling it under his feet. God delights in taking your sin and casting it into the depths of the ocean. By the way, that's verse 18. Who is God like you, pardoning our iniquity, passing over our transgression, delighting in your steadfast love? For your people, who is a God like you? Do you realize that God wants us to repent so that he can cause us to live? Repent. But will you repent? See, repentance is not merely saying sorry. Repentance is a turn, a change. Everything's going to be different now. Repentance is where you say, this right here, this sin where I have uh, done the opposite of what God wants. I'm not doing that anymore. This iniquity where I miss the mark of God's standard, where God said, you need to be living your life according to this standard, and you didn't do it, and you say, I'm not going to live my life like that anymore. I'm going to line my life up with what God wants. Transgression, this stubbornness in our heart that says, you know what, God really can't tell me what I, I need to do, and it really doesn't matter if I do what he wants anyway. I'm just going to do my own thing, and I don't care what the consequences are. Can, can I just tell you, and you can join me in this because I know many of you around this room, you've tasted the consequences of such rebellion like I have. And I beg you, don't let your sin go. Don't think you're going to escape. The longer, the longer you stay unrepentant, the greater the chaos and carnage in your life. Don't think it's okay. It's not. 
We talk ourselves out of repentance by saying how little our sin is. Or we try to talk ourselves out of repentance by saying how we're doing all these other things very well. Or we try to talk ourselves out of repentance by saying, but other people are doing worse than I am. We try to talk ourselves out of repentance by by pointing our finger at different people doing different things. And, And the truth is, God's not holding us accountable for what everybody else is doing. You're here right now. You are here right now by divine appointment. And God is holding you accountable for your sin. And you, you have a choice. You can continue with that attitude. That is sinful against God or those words that are sinful against God or that relationship or relating to people in a way that's sinful against God or against uh, 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 or you can continue in that habit that's sinful against God or that uh, those thoughts that are sinful against God. You you can do that, but please understand the consequence of that. Some of y'all can give me an amen here because you know it. The consequences of continuing in that, you know what that's going to cost you. Daily defeat. Despair, doom, depression, a diseased soul, cancer in your relationships, guilt beyond imagination, darkness. And you can choose that today. Or you can choose to repent. You can choose to turn and live. And live in the victory that God has purchased for you through the death of Jesus on a cross. To live in the victory that his love has bought for you by giving you a chance to escape the dungeon of your own making. And live in victory in fellowship with the one who loves you best. I guess... I guess you just have to decide if you're going to repent. We repent when we trust the Lord. We trust the Lord for his provision and his protection. We we repent when we trust him more than we trust what our sin gives us. See, when we choose repentance, we are choosing a change. We're choosing a change in the way we do life. We're choosing a change in the way we do relationships. We're choosing a, way, a change in the way that we have our habits and, and, and what we watch and, and where we go on the Internet. We're talking about a change, absolutely. And, and so when we're faced with such a change, we start getting a little shaky in our commitment to repent because, I mean, it costs us something. If it sounds like I'm talking out of personal testimony, please know I am. If it feels like I know what I'm talking about here, I do. And it's not because I have a PhD. It's because I have lived a life of rebellion and disobedience to God. Where I've let little sin become a cancer in my soul, and when faced with the opportunity to repent, to be set free, to be picked up out of the dungeon and brought into the light, when I had that choice, I said no, because it was going to mean that there were things that were going to have to change in my everyday life, and I didn't want to change those things. And so I sunk even deeper into the dungeon. And the longer I stayed in the dungeon, the more defeated I was. But then, I couldn't take it anymore. 
I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't stay there any longer. I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't live in the defeat one more second. I couldn't, I couldn't allow myself to taste the bitter fruit of, of my own diseased, sinful life. I, I, couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't stay there anymore. And I'd come to the end of myself sitting in the dungeon that I had created with my own disobedience against God. And, and in that moment, I still had a vision of who God was because God still was the God who delighted in loving me and forgiving me and leading me. So I began to trust him. I began to trust him as verse 11 and verse 14 tell me. I, I began to trust him as the one who would shepherd me and lead me through the difficulties of a changed life as a repentant man. I began to trust the Lord who loved me enough to give me the provision I need to satisfy my soul when all these other sinful things be, were, were the diet of my soul. I began to give those things up and I began to turn once again to the Lord God as my delight and he satisfied me completely. He began to shepherd me and he began to lead me and he said, I will provide for you. Just trust me. And so I turned from my sin. And he brought me into the light. And he destroyed the dungeon that my disobedience had made. And he trampled on my sin. And he showered me with his love and forgiveness and mercy. And he caused me to live. The picture in verses 11 through 14 is God bringing the children of Israel up out of the land of bondage and, and expanding their borders from, from Assyria down to Egypt. He, he's restoring them. He's taken, up, taken that, that beaten, battered people. And he's going to make them brand new. He's going to restore them. He's going to, he's going to cover them again in his grace, a fresh coat of his grace. When I was growing up, my, my, my parents would collect antiques. And, 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 and when I say antiques, I'm not talking about 1920s antiques. I'm talking about 1820s antiques and then 1720s antiques. I'm, I'm talking about that ancient stuff. But the problem with that ancient stuff is that when you look at it, and you're, it, to really get a deal on it, you have to get a deal on something that doesn't look very good. I never thought any of it looked very good, but my parents could see something in that junky old table that they bought. They saw something beautiful, battered and bruised and all kinds of different colors, didn't, didn't have any kind of glisten or gleam to it, but my parents saw something beautiful there. And they would buy that table, and they, they would bring it. And I remember we were living in Kentucky at the time, and I was, I, was, I was eight or nine years old. I remember sitting out on the driveway watching my dad with that table. And, and he had some lye soap, and he had some sandpaper, and he, and he had those yellow gloves, you know, those thick yellow gloves. And, and he'd take that lye soap, and he'd scrub that table, and he'd scrub that table, and then he'd wipe it down. And he'd sand it some. And then he'd take the lye soap again and he'd scrub that table. And he'd scrub that table. And then he'd sand it some more and he'd wipe it down until he got to the good wood. Now my mama came out and she had this, this uh, uh, varnish or this stain. And she'd take that stain and she'd, she'd put just enough on it. Not, not, to, not to mess it up, but just to bring out the beauty of that good wood. And what, what once was a broken, battered piece 
of furniture now was something beautiful and worth value. In fact, I got my little sticky note name on that table, and I'm getting it when they're gone. (laughs) They restored it. They took something that was battered and broken, and they made it beautiful again. When we repent, God promises to restore, to take your life, take my life battered and broken by our sin, stinky, nasty, bruised. And sand it down till he gets to the good wood. And cover me with a fresh coat of his grace. Bringing out the beauty in me. And showing me the beauty of life with him. Do you realize that's what God wants to do in your life today? It may be hard. I know it is. I know it's hard to repent. I know it is. But trust God. Trust Him. He'll lead you. And He'll make it beautiful. What inspires us to trust the Lord so that we live in the victory that repentance offers? What inspires us to trust the Lord is when we worship our incomparable God. See, for us to trust Him, we have to see Him for who He is. We have to to celebrate Him And the more we celebrate who he is, the more we're going to trust him because we see his faithfulness and and his justice and we see his holiness and we see his majesty. But most of all, we see how he delights in loving us. The people of God, they, they, they finished the book with a hymn of praise. And Micah's been preaching. They hear the message. They see their sin. They repent their sin. They trust in the Lord. But, but they, 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 they finish out the book with a hymn of praise. In verses 18 through 20, they just get, get on with praising the God who is incomparable. Who is a God like our God? Who pardons our iniquity? Who passes over our transgressions? Who is a God like our God whose anger will not last forever, but who delights in loving us? Oh, God, there is none like you. We praise you for you are a God who loves us despite our ugliness. You are a God who loves us despite how we have killed ourselves with our own sin. You are a God who loves us and wants to take our sin and cast it into the depths of the sea to trample it and subdue it so we don't have to live in the defeat of it any longer. Oh God, I praise you for you are a God who loves me. If we wake up every morning with that kind of praise in our heart and on our lips, then we're going to trust the God who loves us. And when we trust the God who loves us, then we're quicker to repent the sin that comes before us. Friends, we must repent. So the question is, will you? Will you repent and live? Today, I beg you 
to repent.